Submission Coalition podcast number 12 with Ross Kellen. To be honest, we've been wanting to do this podcast for a while with Ross. Um, we, we think he's a really interesting guy. We wanted to sit down, kind of pick his brain for a little bit, and you guys got a chance to sit in on it. I'll be honest with you, I think we got a third stripe on this one. I really do. We're only two-stripe white belts on the Felicia 01. Uh, Felicia was amazing, but with our technical difficulties, I think we almost lost a stripe, but I think we got our third one on this one. So you guys let me know. All right, enjoy. For the first like ten minutes. (laughs) Oh, she took she took one from you, huh? (laughs) Well, it was kind of more we did it to ourselves. I got you. Oh, in case you hear some dogs barking or my kids going crazy, I apologize. Oh, no issues. Yeah, we have the same issue. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) How how you doing? I'm good. I'm doing well. Not too bad. How about you guys? We're hanging in there. You know. It sucks with the whole coronavirus thing, but it's been an interesting 2020 so far. We're that's managing to be sure. it. <laughs> yeah, I want to. I want a mulligan for 2020. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, start this all over again. Sorry, well, I couldn't guys, be there. You guys are kind of like us. So, so the uh, the the 2019 Florida MMA Awards took place. You guys did really well. Uh, Thank you. I know uh, uh, Borga got uh, Fighter of the Year. Uh, yeah. Did you guys get Gym of the Year? Yes. I think right. Borger got fighter of the year and breakthrough, right? Yeah, I, I, yes. I yeah. Yeah, she she got both fighter and breakthrough. And then I had another amateur, uh, DJ Tice. He got amateur of the year. And then you guys got gym of the year. And gym of the year, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and then Corona. And then Corona. <laughs> <laughs> so, so all that momentum. Yeah. All that. Yeah, just, just work all those years for that. And then uh, uh, it's over. Done. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's kind of the way we felt because we uh, we were prepping, you know, Christian, we were going to have a five-year anniversary. Caesar was going to come out, do the uh, seminar, and then Christian was going to get his promotion to Black Belt, which right. he did, but in, in, in like one of the, you know, lackluster kind of way. I'm, I appreciate that Caesar did do the promotion, but kind of like with you guys, there was a lot of that momentum, momentum and a lot of that excitement that that just got robbed out of the whole no I, I you know I, I felt I felt bad for Christian because I I don't really go to a lot of people's things but I was planning to go to his black belt ceremony right because I really respect you guys and you know him as a martial artist and I know it's a you know obviously a great accomplishment but he's come so far and he's been a you know you guys have all been great in Florida so I wanted to be there and then all this stuff happened. I'm like, oh man, it sucks. <laughs> well, see, Caesar was kind of the one that kind of saw most of this coming. Obviously, he's California side, so they they kind of felt a little bit more of the government shut down faster than we did. But I mean, it kind of broke our heart when when Caesar called up and said, "Hey guys, um, I, I just don't feel comfortable traveling, you know, right no, now." I... And and we felt kind of bad because we felt like we were one of the first groups in Florida to kind of cancel an event specifically because of all this stuff. And then who knew what would happen in two weeks time. I mean, it it went from, I I was in Atlanta doing a uh, conference up there and I went in in the morning and they were talking about the coronavirus. I came out during break and the NBA was talking about how they were going to do a couple games without an audience. I went back in and it felt like by the time I came out for lunch, the NBA had postponed the season and it was yeah. progressing that quickly. Uh, the, um, I was at the last baseball game in the country 
Uh, actually, it was a triple A. In Lakeland, we have the Detroit Tigers. They're, they're uh, you know, the, the semi-pro league, the, you know, the lower class league for the, you know, going up to the pros. Right. And uh, I had some tickets and me and my dad went to, to watch the baseball game and they announced then that was the last game that they were doing. Wow. This was like Mar mid-March, like 14th or something. I'm like, oh my gosh. And they had canceled. I, there were some people who sit next to us who'd come down from uh, Michigan and they were supposed to see uh, three baseball games, one on that day and then two the next day, and they all got canceled on them. So they only got to see the one. You know, I was like, man, if, you know, I think people blow it out of proportion. And then all of a sudden they got real. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, know. Yeah. I know. We were doing the same thing. We were like, oh, this is nothing. And then we're like, ah, crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That got, it got crazy quick. I've got a friend in California. He bought, uh, <laughs> he bought so many weapons, not just guns, but he bought like booby traps <laughs> <laughs> and powdered stuff. <laughs> like, like he bought, uh, you know, gunpowder and, and all kinds of stuff. He, his, and he was, he's got like one of those electronic uh, shelves that falls down and then guns oh, and weapons are in there. And he lives in like a little 500 square foot apartment right in Hollywood. Wow. And he, I'm like, dude, you've got cabin fever. You've lost it. <laughs> he's totally <laughs> lost it. He's one of my, one of my good friends, and good students, but uh, he's he's too. He thinks everybody's gonna die. Like he's. I have always wanted a house like Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they pressed a couple buttons and like like <laughs> drawers and cabinets open up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I'll admit, I I tried. Um, I was denied. I, I wanted to buy another <laughs> firearm. Uh, but uh, I was denied, so I, I bought a bunch of ammo instead. So <laughs> there you go, there you go. Right next to, in, knock it off. <laughs> you know, in in the same plaza as my school, um, we have a, a gun store, and they they had lines around the around the, the block when it first when they first locked this down. Yeah. And uh, they sold out of all their ammo like the first day, and then they got more in, but it was crazy. It was crazy busy. My parking lot was full just with you know their clients. Yeah, yeah. Gun, gun stores and the pot dispensaries had lines out the door. <laughs> they did. <laughs> they did. <laughs> That's true. And so, I mean, I, we, we've known each other for for a while now, and I, I've I've known some of your history for a little bit, but we're we're kind of going by the premise that a good portion of the people, all six of them, that that are actually going to listen to this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so you're you're as OG as it gets, pretty much within this game as an American. Yeah. Um, so, what was what was your kind of origin story? What what even got you to even look towards this side of of martial arts? Um, I've been a lifelong martial artist. My mom um, used to, my mom and dad used to love martial art movies, and she was a big fan of Bruce Lee. And uh, I remember my earliest memories were at a drive-in going to see uh, the Shira Mifune and, you know, Kurosawa Japanese samurai movies with heads mm -hmm. getting cut off and everything. And uh, my dad was a wrestler and my mom put me in um, martial arts when I was very young, uh, Taekwondo or karate. And my dad, you know, had me wrestling very young also, similar to, you know, to Christian and, uh, it just progressed through there. And then in the eighties, you know, I fell in love with uh, Kung Fu. I was into Kung Fu for many, many years. And I'm actually a master in Kung Fu as well. Um, but once the UFC came out, 
I was like, I got to learn that, you know, when Hoy started choking people and I already knew, you know, basic submissions because my, you know, my dad had wrestled and he had did some catch earlier. So, I mean, you know, the basic uh, uh, chicken wings and, and uh, you know, hammer, hammer locks and, and uh, rear naked chokes. So I knew, all, I knew all that stuff, but I didn't know the jujitsu style of it. And then uh, in the early nineties, when that, when the UFC came out, I had just gotten married and moved up to Delaware. And I was teaching at a Kung Fu school up there. And every week, um, me and a couple guys would get together at this one karate school and they had a purple belt uh, named Beto teaching jujitsu. And uh, he, he would, him and another guy named John, uh, I don't, I don't, you know, I was only there for a couple months. Um, and we only got together at 8 a.m. on Sundays because, you know, the rest of the week, everybody taught their classes or whatever. And, Jiu-Jitsu was just infancy then and uh, trained with those guys for, you know, a couple months and then ended up moving back uh, here. And, and uh, my, my, uh, my close friend, Marco Santos became my Jiu-Jitsu instructor and he awarded me my black belt in 2005. And, uh, uh, you know, I, tra- I trained with a couple different people. I also trained Sambo up in Philly um, and boxed up there for a while. And uh, the first actual Gracie school that I had ever went to was a guy named uh, uh, Phil Maxwell. I had Maxercise up in Philly. And I went up there and trained there a couple times. And uh, he used to be a wrestler. And he uh, he was with Hoist and Horion at the beginning. And then he went with uh, Helson. And then uh, him and his wife split up whatever but his I believe his school's still there but it's 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 called Maxercise but I think it's just a fitness studio now and I haven't seen him in many many years I was only I only did four or five classes with him but then uh I had trained um with Marco Santos since the late 90s and uh he got me you know he promoted me to to black belt and been with him ever since and um he 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 taught me most of the stuff in gi and I had already been doing a lot of no-gi stuff and I taught him, you know, catch stuff. And, and I also, one of the styles that I, I did really well in, in Kung Fu was called Shui Jiao, which is the origins of uh, Judo. And uh, look it up sometime if you haven't have ever seen it. It's pretty interesting. A lot of throws and stuff. Um, and that just worked real well with the Jiu-Jitsu. And so all I've done my whole life was either Taekwondo, Karate, Wrestling, I did Sanda and Shui Jiao in my Kung Fu system. Mm. So <clears throat> when when uh, the fights came out, it was just perfect to learn it. And then I started taking uh, Jiu-Jitsu a lot more seriously. In the Sambo, I'd learned, in the Shui Jiao, I'd learned a lot of leg locks. And so I'd start rolling with a lot of Jiu-Jitsu guys, and, and I was always tapping them out with leg locks. And they, you know, they're always, you know, back then, they thought, you know, that was ignorant. You know, they used to always say, oh, ignorant, ignorant. You're just right, using yeah. strength or, you know, whatever. That's not real technique. That's dirty. And uh, I'm like, well, you tapped. <laughs> like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's yeah. dirty about it. I'm not, I'm not eye gouging you. I'm not, you know, doing small joints. I'm not, you know, finger hooking you. I'm not checking your oil. I'm not doing anything like that. You know, it's just, it's a leg. I'm grabbing your leg. And uh, I remember one time I was rolling with, uh, back then, uh, blue belts were kind of like a big deal. I was, you know, obviously a white belt. And I had been training Sambo for a while, but there was a, uh, one of the, actually the guy John, who was the instructor at the school in um, up in Delaware, it was in uh, I believe it was Bear, Delaware. 
he, uh, I would come in and, you know, we, went, we wouldn't wear a gi or anything. And uh, I tapped about like 30 seconds with a heel hook. And uh, he was like, here, put the jacket on him. And then we ended up rolling for like 30 minutes and neither one of us could get at each other. Or actually, no, excuse me. He, he tapped me out like right away in a cross gi choke. And so, so then uh, I, f I figured, you know, all right, so I got I to gotta watch, you know, the choke so I wouldn't let him grab my collar. So we rolled for like 30 minutes and then we became, you know, good friends. And I let him teach me a lot of stuff in, in gi. So he was, a guy named John was my first real uh, one. He was, he had got his blue belt from Enzo. Okay. But, uh, Marco Santos, uh, he got his black belt from Laudelia. who got his black belt from Merlo Bustamante. You know, obviously through Carlson Gracie, that's who my lineage is from. And Marcos has a school now uh, in uh, Porto, Portugal. He's got a real big school. It's Champions MMA also. And he's got, I think he's got 13 or 14 schools out there. Nice. Wow. Now that, yeah, that's the one that, uh, uh, was it last year you took a trip out there? Yeah. To, to yes. Do, uh, one, one of the Copa tournaments. To, to yeah. Yeah. Out. Actually, the my school symbol, the picture, that's uh, Marcus. Nice. But yeah, he's a real, real good friend of mine. He he immigrated from Brazil to here, and uh, he actually ended up getting deported and was gone for ten years. And then you know, so I went out there. I went down to Brazil. I trained. Went down to Brazil and trained a couple of times. Um, and, and went and saw him while he was down there. And he was training at the Brazilian top team then. And uh, because that's obviously, that's where Murillo has. So we were there. And then uh, he also trained at, uh, uh, geez, what was it called? Uh, Gracie Ilya, which is run by, uh, it was Helio Gracie's last school that he was at. It was the last place he promoted someone to a black belt. And uh, it's a real beautiful place. That's where Daniel Rice was teaching out of and stuff. So it was, Real, real good school. Right. So now, how, how much in your wrestling did you uh, did you do through that? Much uh, like high school or college wrestling, or um, just just um, I started wrestling when I was like seven, I believe, and wrestled up through fifteen or sixteen, and then uh, I moved down here. I didn't wrestle in high school, but I I, I wrestled with a bunch of teams. Um, uh, the now it's not really politically correct to say, but the. <laughs> Nice. I'm sorry. Hey, um, the, the coach, the coach I had at, at the time was uh, everybody. The rumor was he was gay, and so it kind of t turned me off to train, you know, wrestling at that academy. And uh, he wasn't there for very long, but it, it was confirmed later on that he was, and he he, uh, got, he actually got arrested for oh, gotcha. doing some improper stuff. But that that kind of ended my my wrestling career, but I, I always say I wrestled you know, on and off for about 13 years altogether, but um, like officially wrestled seven years. Oh, gotcha. So what, what, what was your, uh, your, your foray or your, your introduction into MMA? So I know that uh, I've seen quite a few pictures with you, with different fighters, um, not just currently, but I mean, go, going back to even some of the early days of uh, some of the fights. Well, I had, I had, um, we were one of the first teams in Florida to have fighters. Um, my school and I, the school, I used to have another partner. We used to be called High Performance. And then in 2007, he and I split and then I started Champions. But I had, I had uh, some of the earliest fighters in Florida. Um, there was me, there was Dean Thomas, Paul Rodriguez, um, 
there's a school called uh, Team Tampa. Um, there was, jeez, um, uh, Chris Hickman's school. Chris and Tommy Sauer, Tommy Sauer just passed away. Um, and then this was before American Top Team was even around. It used to be the uh, you know, Conan brothers, uh, or Silvera brothers. Um, but we would all just, and, and Mike Lee actually, you know, he had a, he was F2 up in Gainesville. And uh, we all used to fight each other, you know, back in the day. And Mike Cardoza also. Uh, we all, all our teams used to fight each other and everything. And then we've all become really, really good friends. You know, we, you know so now it's, it's, it's kind of funny because we, we talk all the time and, you know, share jokes and, you know, stupid things that are going on or share old pictures. But uh, the fight game in Florida, when it, when it, there's a, a few uh, pancreation style, like slap style fighting right. back in the day uh, that started a couple events in Miami. And then Jamie Levine and Chris Cordero were two big promoters in Florida. Jamie Levine, have you ever heard of, of Dan Lambert talking about that he almost bought the UFC? Yeah, you know, yeah. He was, he, him, Wade Rome, Jamie Levine, um, we're all kind of in that together. And uh, I was, you know, for less, <laughs> for uh, not the best term in the word, but I was kind of like Jamie Levine's bitch. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> If he, if he needed somebody to roll with or, or set up the cage or hold mitts, he would take me and travel, you know, I would travel with him all over the country doing world extreme fighting. And I would help put up the cage if, if any fighter needed someone to roll with or warm up with or do mitts with or whatever, I was always available, you know? So I trained with a lot, a lot of different people and traveling all over with Jamie really, really uh, exposed me a lot to you know, MMA and all the different guys. So, go you know doing things with him. I mean, he had a, he had a bad reputation. He even did some shady shit to me, which he apologized for. But then, uh, you know, all in all, he was he was uh, a pioneer for MMA in Florida. Mm. And then Chris Cordero used to have the World Valley Tudo Federation, and he had a lot of fights, usually up in Jacksonville. It was called Battle Jacks, and um, he uh, he had a good connection with King of the Cage, with just Terry Treblecock and. Right. A bunch of the guys out in California. So I had taken my fighters, including Marco Santos, you know, my instructor, went out and fought in the King of the Cage a couple of times. And uh, Kevin Cook, you know, another one of mine, John Hosgood, who's one of the refs here in Florida, he, uh, he was a student of mine. He, uh, we fought out at uh, the Saboba Casino back in the uh, either late 90s or early 2000, something wow. like that. So we've been doing it you know, forever. Right, yeah. Yeah, as I remember my, my first introduction to uh, Florida MMA and Florida Jiu-Jitsu was from the uh, the old show uh, Extreme Fighting Championships. That was my first introduction to uh, to uh, uh, Conan. That was my first introduction to uh, Mira Sperry. Um, right. A bunch of that group was, you know, because being, being from the West Coast, you know, uh, obviously when the UFC hit the scene, you know, and the like, but then I, I got I got the bug really bad on it. Luckily, my parents had one of those big satellite dishes in the back. So uh, I was able to, to pick up on just about every, every <laughs> With those things, you can, on, so. <laughs> you can pick up on Mars with those old satellites. <laughs> yeah, even, uh, even getting some of the, uh, the older, um, like when, when, when Pancrase, when, when Boss Rutten and, and the Shamrocks were, were yep. fighting in Pancrase, I was picking oh, yeah. up those off satellite, you know, doing all that stuff. You know, it is... 
when when MMA and jujitsu hit the scene, I mean, it, it it literally was like I couldn't get enough. I mean, oh yeah, literally just couldn't get enough. No, I, you know, back then it sucked because we'd have to wait like six months yeah. <laughs> between pay per views. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it it was so uh, it was so hard finding you know fights, and then you know we my uh, at, at my school that was you know we'd all get together, you know, come over to my house or whatever back in those days. And, you know, way before you could do it at Hooters or any of those places. You yeah, know, so yeah. I'm sure you guys did the same stuff. Oh, well, yeah, you know. huge UFC parties. Oh, yeah. Those, those were, to me, those were the real UFC parties. Yeah. You know, those were always the best, you know, most fun. <laughs> well, because I, I know when, because uh, uh, I started indirectly. Uh, my instructor, Eric Shingu, I was training Okinawa Gojiru with him. And he comes to me one day and he goes, hey, he goes, have you ever heard of this uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu stuff? Now, I was super stoked because be, being a martial artist, I mean, I, again, if, if there was a magazine out there, I was reading it. So yeah. I was already very, very aware of the Gracies. Um, just, you know, when, when you have no money and you're fairly young, I mean, 500 miles away is another country as far as right. I was concerned. I mean, I knew they were in LA or the, the, that area, but, I mean, to us, where we were at, that, that was about 500 miles. I mean. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so when, when, when Eric told me, he goes, hey, he goes, have you ever heard of these guys? I mean, man, I, I was like a kid in a candy store. Um, so I've always been learning from him. When he was a white belt, I was already learning from him on the side. And I remember our first instructional VHS that we got was a bootleg copy of Mike Swain's judo Nawaza techniques. <laughs> and, I remember that. <laughs> oh, we were we were passing that thing around, making copies. I mean, you, you know what? My, Mike Swain was incredible. His 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 judo and his jujitsu were pretty good. I mean, he was never as good at jujitsu, you know, or, or nawaza as he was at, at the stand up rendori. But he was fantastic. He was such a good, you know, uh, judo player. Right. Like, you know, if you if you ever watched any of his old videos, oh my God, he's so not just his instructionals, but like right, even right, when he competed. Competition. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I've always been a fan. I'm actually training judo now as well. I'm not a black belt yet. I'm a brown belt. I'm, nice. still, I'm still training judo. But, it, like, I'm, I'm a black belt in, in Shuai Jiao, um, which is the precursor of it. But, right. you know, I, I'm a traditionalist. I, I love martial arts. Like, I don't care, I don't care what style it is. If it's, if it's interesting and, you know, it teaches respect and things like that, I'm all about it. You know, I don't. I'm not one of those guys who's just into jujitsu or MMA and don't and thinks everything is bullshit. I'm not. I'm not that way at all. I, I think it's interesting right now because it seems like there's there's almost a, a counterculture going on that there's a lot of infighting. It seems like right now about you know origins of Gracie jujitsu or origins of Brazilian jujitsu. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of different arguments going on there. You know, who's actually the creator? Or, oh, yeah. The whole Fada stuff. And, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it's fascinating. And, 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 but then there's even the other, you know, that saying that, that, you know, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is not even different. It's still just, you know, that it came from Judo, which, which as I understand, Judo still came from Jiu-Jitsu, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, which then came from China in the form of, of other arts and other studies, like Okinawa that's Goju. Shuai, well, that's Shuai Jiao. Yeah, and o Okinawa Goju openly says the origins of Okinawa Goju start in China. 
Right. And even in China, it's believed that it comes from India. And, you know. Well, a lot of the Chinese now, they're very ethnocentric, especially with, you know, with COVID going on and stuff right. like that. Um, so they, they've kind of rewritten a lot of the history books to, you know, lean towards they were, you know, everything came from them. If you look right. at the, the character in, in, in Chinese of, of China, it's kind of like a rectangle that's kind of squished in with, yeah. a, line drawn, with a line drawn through the center. That character is Zhang, and they, they, that, that means, that translates to center of the universe. So they believe that they're really the center of all life and everything that came. That's why, you know, that symbol is that way. But, you know, just interesting stuff. I've always been a martial arts historian as well. If, if you want to read, like, you're talking about the, you know, the Gracie, you know, whether or not which side of the family that came from or which uh, the other, uh, <clears throat> the other jujitsu guy who, who, who trained, I can't think of his name at the second. Um, but there's a guy by the name of Mike Chapman. He writes on, on the sport of wrestling. Mm-hmm. On, on like the actual old school, real wrestlers, real catch wrestlers, uh, you know, not, not just like, you know, not the WWE type stuff, but the right, real, yeah. like you know, the, the real Gotch, stuff. The Farber yes. Park, the... Yes. And uh, he's got, he's got fascinating books on it. If you, if you ever look up Mike Chapman, I, I've got probably 10 of his books. He was at a USA wrestling meet and I saw he had all these wrestling books and they weren't like instructions or anything. They were just, you know, you know, uh, autobiography or biographies. Right. And I, I started talking to him and, and we knew a lot of the same people in, in, in you know, the old wrestling circuits because um, Carl Gotch trained uh, one of the people that I used to train with and help coach, uh, Ducell Berto. He was, one of the, he was one of the original guys in Florida. He actually fought in the UFC two times. His son, Edson Berto, and they have uh, Tigers World in Winter Haven and Ducell Berto was one of Gotch's main students. So... Um, so we started talking about that and, and it was, it was interesting to find somebody who knows, you know, like, you know how it is, man, you're being a martial artist and you know, all these little things that right, like, less yeah. than 1%, 1% of the population knows. So you end up having a cool conversation with somebody, but look up, look up Mike Chapman, you know, look up yeah, some I'll of his books. I, I love, I love the history of, of everything as much as I, with, with all this COVID stuff going on. Um, I started posting, uh, just some of the, uh, the the covers and the backs of some of the books that, that I've picked up over the years. And to be honest, the vast majority of jiu-jitsu books that I have, the vast majority I picked up was really only for about the first two chapters in the book, which is just their take on history and philosophy you know, right. of each of those different different people. Because once in those early books, once you got to the technical side of it, they weren't really showing anything different. I mean, every book was still showing pretty much the same basic stuff. But those first two chapters, though, you yeah. know, was really what I was buying almost all of them for. Right, right. Well, this, and Mike Chapman, he's a historian and, you know, a, a wrestler as well. So he really delves into the, the, the biography of all these, you know, Farmer Burns, all, you know, all those guys. Even Abraham Lincoln, he's got a book on Abraham Lincoln and his wrestling. I mean, really, really in-depth stuff. Right. So, you know, it, it's nice. It's, it's cool to see. Well, and that's where I, I used to joke when, when Christian was wrestling with the uh, DeLand High School, once we moved out here, um, when it came time, there was usually a couple posters that would pop up about Abraham Lincoln wrestling and, you know, what, what presidents from the U.S. were all wrestlers. And that's right. where there's times where I was telling him going, well, you guys do know 
that Abraham Lincoln was probably closer to an MMA fighter than he was actually to a wrestler by today's standards anyway. Right. Um, I was like, cause you know, the way they fought, you know, back then their, their contest, the, the rules that were allowed, you know, there were, there were a lot of different ways to win. You know? Oh yeah. You know, so. Yeah, absolutely. That's funny though. It's funny, you know, you tell Christian that because I've told Brianna the same thing. <laughs> um, well, and that's the part when, when Christian was on California side um, and, and we were, we were just getting him into wrestling. Now, same thing as being a martial artist, I viewed wrestling. I never wrestled in high school. Um, it, it's probably, if, if I have a disappointment in, in life, that's probably one of them. Hindsight always being what it is. I, um, I had opportunities. I chose not to. Um, you know, who, who knew that later on, you know, that wrestling and grappling would play such a significant part. But, uh, you know, so I, I had friends that wrestled. I just never did. But I always looked at wrestling as a martial art. I looked at boxing as a martial art. Um, you know, I looked at all those different things as martial arts, not just as a sport. And so my studies always also included, you know, boxing and wrestling from a philosophical side, from a history side. And I get into conversations with Christian's wrestling coaches that one of them was very anti-jiu-jitsu. You know, MMA was illegal in California. And so it wasn't really, you know, it was polarizing. Different people had different opinions. Right. And I went up to him one day and I said, hey, how do you feel about Fila adopting grappling right. as part of their curriculum? And this was his response. This was, this was one of Christian's early youth coaches. He goes, Fila is a shoe manufacturer. <laughs> they don't have anything to do with wrestling. <laughs> And That's so funny. The, the, the other coach gave him this look, you know, that <laughs> kind of summed up all of it for me at that moment. Right. Like, he gave him a look like, I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> That's so funny, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have to know everything to be able to wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all right. But that, that played a huge part for me, though, because I used to watch Christian's uh, wrestling practices. And then on the car ride back, when we would go back to the gym, you know, I'd tell him, say, hey, uh, that move that you guys were just doing today, here's what I saw. And then we would take whatever the wrestling move was. And then when we get back to the gym, I'd show him all the different submission setups that I saw off of that same positioning, you know, and the like. So we were always from the beginning looking at because Christian was jujitsu first. He's rare one, right? First, then wrestling, then back to jujitsu. Right. So, so even his wrestling chops had a, a, a more of a submission grappling spin to it, uh, which is probably the reason why he was a little funky in his in his style. That's that's exactly what I, I've done with all my you know my my first thing was wrestling first. So you know. I always tell people, you know, this is my philosophy, is if you're fighting off your back, you know, maybe in the early days, no, but now if you're fighting off your back, you're losing. Yep. Yeah. You, know, you, you, use your, you use your wrestling or your stand-up to get to the ground, to get on top, to dominate, go for the submission. If you get put on your back, it's because your wrestling wasn't good enough. You know, or you did something wrong at some point. And not to say anything's wrong with, you know, fighting off your back, but in MMA, if it goes to a judge's decision, they're always going to side with the person who's 
we found Ta. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. At, least, at least nowadays. Yeah. So Christian's very first fight. That's what happened. He was running yeah. off his back the whole time. Boom, 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 boom. Well, but it wasn't just that though, because we talked about this. Because um, yeah, his first his first one, he loses a split decision. Um, you know, people can say what they want. We lost. Um, then he goes and does uh, IBJJF Atlanta, and super frustrated at the end of that one. Same thing, playing guard off his back. And so many submission attempts. And the other guy, you know, Christian goes for a submission. The other guy gets a near pass because of the submission advantage. attempt, gets an advantage, wins. And yeah. so, like I said, that started creating a shift. Well, you know, to me, you know, like, you know, I, I try not to get political and all this stuff, especially because I have my own grappling tournament and stuff. But I, I think, I think like IBJJF has really taken jujitsu out of jujitsu. You know, there's too many rules. You know, it's just to me, you know, when you take away, especially the most dominating thing right now, heel hooks. Yeah. You know, that's the biggest thing in the game. And, and you know, you, you can't do it for obvious, you know, because they have the gi on and stuff like that. But I just, I just think there's too many, too many rules. It's changed a lot. And, you know, even in the time you've been in jujitsu, Jiu-Jitsu is not the same. They they come up with new rules and new things or whatever. It's like even for kids, like kids can't do almost anything. It's like if they can't do all of this stuff, why don't they just wrestle? Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I, I just I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's great because it has a governing body and stuff like that. But I, I really, you know, the 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 you know, I, I'm more into finishing the opponent, not worrying about points. Or MMA. That's that's really where my jujitsu is. It's not into right. the sport side stuff like that. I, I, out of gi and nogi, I love them both. You know, I, I like nogi more a little bit. I like nogi more a little bit because the wrestling aspect and the leg locks, and that's something. I'm, sorry, that's something I'm very, I'm very strong in. Right. Um, but. I do appreciate the gi. I, I think it's fun. Gives good grips. Makes positioning makes your positioning better. If you're tech, like you can you can suck and get out of things in no gi. This was yes. sweat. You you can't suck and get out of things in a gi. So I make all my fighters, no matter how how long they've trained in wrestling or how long they've done anything, you start in gi. You're gonna you're gonna do gi if you're gonna fight. Only because I want them to get used to being stuck. And not panicking and figuring out ways to use the gi to, you know, manipulate, learn, learn and get out. proper postures and proper leverage. Because then right. you add your athleticism to it, you're going to get so much stronger. Oh yeah, I've got I've got a couple studs right now. I'm, I'm, I I know you do as well. And you, you you watch these guys, and you're like, this guy could be next UFC champ. You know, you, you just you just see guys that are doing things that are crazy now just because, the, you know, either the methodology of the way we teach now, because we've taken a lot of the stuff that was ineffectual or things that people don't do 20 years ago that they do now, and you change accordingly. Like, I'm, I'm very – what's working right now is what we use a lot of. Right. If, you know, I, I do old-school training, like with, you know, the way we warm up, all that kind of stuff hardcore, you know, hour-long rolling sessions, all, you know, all kinds of hardcore stuff like that. But, you know, I usually, like, for me, for my MMA guys, I always look at the current, what's the top five submissions in the UFC? 
you know, or top five submissions in no gi. And they're usually rear naked choke, heel hook, uh, gear, you know, guillotine, uh, triangle, you know, Kimura, or not Kimura, but um, what was the other one? Guillotine, uh, triangle, rear naked choke, uh, heel hook, and armbar. Those are usually, in, in no gi and in MMA, those are usually the top ones. So those ones I drill from so many angles more than anything else. We're not doing like a million different fancy moves. You know, I'm not doing, although I know it and I teach it, and, and you know, I show my students like barambolas and you know, different 50, if you do 50-50 on me and a gi, I will still go after your ankle just to show you this is not a good position for you to try to sweep me. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it, it's, it's, you know, and, and like, that's something that drives me crazy is you can, you know, at IBJJF, they'll let you sit in 50-50 forever. You know, like, what are Actually, you doing? They changed their rules on that. Well, I, I know, I know that now, but. But yeah, it but, used you know, to be, I sit up, you sit up, I sit up, you sit up, and they're yeah. just throwing points yeah, just, out. Right? Just, yeah, exactly. It's so stupid. Now they give like uh, advantages and stuff. I, I hate that. You know, well, now it's what like, they did, actually, because uh, uh, we did their rules meeting last year, they actually changed that one now. So if you go down in 50-50 and in 30 seconds, nobody does anything to stand you back up. Well, see, that, that's, that proves my point. Look how stupid that is. Yeah. <laughs> You're changing jujitsu. You know, like, they're, they're why would you do that? You've had a rule for 20 years. You change it four or five different times. See, I always, I always liked the original MMA. Yes. So yes. Look at look at I some of the old look at some of the old matches with Roletta, you know, with with you know uh, Armory Batachi, uh, you know Valage, any of those guys who used to compete, Solo Rivera in the beginning, right. they wrestled they wrestled to top position, you know Jacques Array, Roger Gracie. They all wrestled top position. They weren't pulling guard unless they absolutely have to. Now you got guys, you know, double scissor grinding each other. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to me, that's just like, what are you doing? Like, the, but, to but me, I that's also just the, liked even, even in the early MMA where you want to get out, earn it. So, yes, you know, 100%. If, if a guy's up on top of you and he's punching you in the face, right now, all I need to do is bear hug you. Pin, pin you chest to chest or whatever, and then we'll get a stand up yep. in you know probably 15 or 20 seconds because now unfortunately it, it's about creating entertainment rather right. than two people fighting. Right. See, that's that's crazy to me. You know, like you know, I, I've refed I've refed World Extreme I've refed pro and amateur. Um, yeah, I used to do a lot of the pro shows with World Extreme Fighting when I'd travel around, and with you know when when Florida made it. I was actually part of the group of people who wrote part of the legislation to have, you know, make it legal and then amateur in Florida. And then for a while I was on the, um, the expert list. So if anybody was doing anything illegal or whatever, I would go around and make sure that they, you know, I would report on the, on the legality of the show. Not, not so much as, you know, tattling on them or any of that kind of stuff. But I was, they wanted to know, because they weren't doing anything. They just want to know if people were following what they were supposed to do. Like if they had medics, if they have doctors, if they had you know, insurance, stuff like that. And they weren't, you know, in the early days, they weren't doing anything to stop them. They were just, let me, let me, you know, let me see what's going on. And there was a lot of people who were doing shit they shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. And then, you know, and one, I won't name them now, but he, he sued the commission and won so many times. I'll tell you offline. 
Anytime, like the state is literally afraid of this man. Like wow. it's, it's, it's ridiculous, you know? And uh, he's like the, the super patriot, you know, you can't infringe on my rights, <laughs> you know, to, to do whatever I want. It's a free country. He's, right. he's like that. He, you know, him and I have actually gone, gone to verbal blows before because he's made some you know, bad calls because uh, he was a referee for the state too. But uh, he's actually a good hearted dude and we're, we're good now. But uh, I'll tell you some stories about this guy offline. You might even know who he is. But, but uh, you know, <clears throat> with, with uh, MMA in Florida, it's changed. You know, just like you're saying, if you got to get up, you, you need to earn it. And, like, whenever, whenever I reft, the person on the bottom committed a foul. You know, he did something illegal, whatever. It'd stand him up, take the other guy to the corner, give him a five-minute break, and then put the guy who did the foul back on the ground, you know, on his back. Right, like, yeah. You're not getting out. <laughs> you know, you got to earn your way out. Right. Now, if, if two guys are sitting there sleeping on each other and neither one of them are trying to do anything, then, yeah, I'll, I'll stand that up. Because that they're just sleeping. But if, if you know, that's usually in the heavyweights. You, know, yeah. you got two, two, you know, big guys that, that are literally trying to sleep on each other and not do, not do anything just except for breathe. <laughs> I'm standing that up because I don't even want to watch that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But not so much the – I don't really care about what the audience thinks. Well, that's where, like, I, I even like the idea of in MMA, I mean, because obviously, I mean, in the beginning – well, I should say in the beginning, they're actually – I mean, they, they had rounds. <laughs> they just never yes. – So, yes. it was UFC 2 that they took away the time – you know, took the no time limit, you know, things of that nature uh, – and I always kind of like that idea, um, or at least bare minimum, I like the pride method of, of the single 10-minute round and then a five-minute round, and they pretty much just let them go. Um, right. You know, because even, even now, it's kind of one of those things, if you know that the end of round's coming, you know you're going to get a stand-up again, you know, something of that nature. You know, right. I, well, there was, in, like, in the UFC, you know, it, it, it was just always beating everybody so quick, and everybody was just, you know, it was so lopsided. I don't think there was any fight that went over three or four minutes. No, yeah, it, it didn't matter who was fighting. Um, all all yeah. the fights went pretty quick. Yeah, I think I think it wasn't until the Hoist, Hoist and Shamrock 2 that they did like a 30-minute. Oh, the snooze fest. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, and then, you know, it's funny. Is I, just the other day I watched uh, um, Shamrock and Severn 2. <laughs> where they danced around and circled each other for 30 minutes. Now, now cra crazy part on that one, though, because I've, uh, I've got two different books that talk about the, the background of those early days. And according to both of those books, they claim that at that event, that the commission or whomever was authorizing it told them no clenched fists. Yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I heard that, too. And uh, I actually talked, I actually asked both of them, I asked Dan and Ken if that was true, and they said yes. So, you know, I've, I've, I'll tell you what, Dan Severn is the coolest dude in the world, but he will never stop talking. Yeah. <laughs> he will never stop talking. Me, we had, we had a show up in Jersey, and uh, me and a couple of my friends were up there, and uh, I, I had actually... Dan has fought here in Florida a couple of times. So I, I knew him from seeing here. I actually cornered him in one fight in Florida down here. And uh, um, we got to talking because we knew some of the same people in wrestling. 
and and uh, he, we, he he was up in Jersey and, and really didn't have anybody to know, or any friends or anybody to hang out with at this fight, and he was supposed to be the special guest, <laughs> and he was hanging out uh, by himself all, all over. And I came over and I was like, "Hey, Dan, how you doing?" I introduced him to one of my friends because they wanted to get a picture with him, and and Dan's like, "Yeah, sure, you know, real you know real cool, you know, took the picture and everything." Like he's always like that. And then we couldn't get rid of him. <laughs> like, Dan literally <laughs> followed us around, like, the whole weekend because he had – there was nothing else, uh, you know. Every, 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 every place we went to eat, every fight, every, everywhere we were, he'd come up and start talking with us, which was cool. But when he would start talking about a story, nobody else could talk. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah. The, the other cool – one other cool thing about Dan is I, I remember, uh, like, most of the times when he fought, he was usually the main event. And he would he would bring a pillow and some blankets into the room, and he he would be like, "Wake me up ten minutes before my fight," and he would go lay down in the corner all by himself, yep, just sleeping. <laughs> you know, I always thought, yeah, yeah, it, it's funny. You wouldn't think Dan Severn would do that though, you know. But he he sure enough just make just make sure I'm up ten minutes before the fight. Right. All right. Dan, yeah. Dan was one of those guys. We never got a chance to to meet him. But, but years and years and years ago, when we were California side, uh, a friend of a friend, we're, we're, we're at a party, I think we're watching the UFC or whatever, and he comes in and he's like, yeah, you know, Dan's one of like my best friends and, and things like that. And we, we thought he was full of shit, to be honest with right. you. Um, you know, and he's like, yeah, man, I, I judge UFC fights and, and, and I ref and, and things of that nature. And again, oh, yeah. we, thought, we thought he was just full of crap. And then one day he shows up at our gym and he hands us a, uh, uh, an autographed picture from, of Dan Severn. And again, we were just like, man, you know what? Anybody can do that, you know? And then, sure enough, we're watching a UFC, and we're sitting there, and we're going, holy shit, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. We're like, he actually is there. Yeah, you know, that, that's when, when um, Dan Lambert and Jamie and all those guys were trying to buy the UFC – it was, it was in the, like, somewhere between UFC 20, 20 and 30, like, between UFC. I was in every one of them, every one of those UFCs. And a lot of times you could either see me around the cage or, like, coming into the cage talking to the fighters, not, like, on interview, but just, like, after they won or whatever. Right. And uh, I, I had told somebody, you know, oh, yeah, you can see me in back at, you know, UFC. Like, I think it was 22 when Pedro Hizzo fought Trey Telegman. Uh, I, was, I was actually in Pedro's. Uh, side and after Pedro won, we jumped in there with Marco Huas and you know congratulated right. him and everything. And because back then UFC and World Extreme Fighting were, were friends, so we were we were taking each other's fighters. So UFC would give us some of their fighters like Jens Pulver and Matt Hughes. All those guys had fought for us at some time, and and we'd go back and forth. So we were we were recruiting the fighters, and and so we went into the cage and. Uh, I showed, I told one of my students that, and he, he was like, nah, you know, you weren't, you, you know, that was too early, you weren't in it. And I was like, okay, man, you know, and then uh, I think Blockbuster, this was back in the day, you know, had like all these UFCs, and I, I read them, I said, hey, right. look, they're, they're, look at, I mean, all those UFCs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, nice. Just showing them. No, so for, for us being, being California side, not a lot of, of, of the UFCs, you know, they were all more East coast or Midwest. Right. Um, so, 
you know, I, I was watching that. So obviously we had our, uh, our, our smoker events and the illegal ones that would happen in California or the, right. the, the casinos. The casinos mostly. And, uh, yeah, because one of the first ones we heard, I mean, UFC was on the scene now. Uh, now, granted, uh, Ken and Frank Shamrock were out of Lockford, California. I was like 10 minutes down the road from us. So we were, we were super stoked about that. And Eric's gym, um, the actual lion's den was Lodi, California. And so a lot of uh, Eric's students were actually kind of training in both locations. They were training right. both with Shamrocks and, and with us. But uh, also, I can't remember who it was, but they're like, yeah, they're, uh, they're doing UFC qualifiers in Jackson, California. Same thing. We're looking at them going, bullshit. <laughs> like, there's no way they're doing qualifiers in the middle of nowhere. I mean, because right. Jackson's not exactly a, a metropolis or anything else. I mean, it, <laughs> it's a good, you know, probably about half hour, 45 minutes outside of Sacramento, you know, about an hour from, from Stockton. We're like, no way. And then Melissa's mom is like, yeah, one of my doctors from the hospital is their, is their ringside doctor, and he does all their events. And we're, we're like, no, this, this is, again, this has to be bullshit. I mean, there, there's no way that, that they're running fights. And then sure enough, they're at the Jackson Rancheria at the Indian Tribal Grounds. Right. I mean, that, that's the first, first place I met Chuck Liddell. Uh, first place I met quite a few of the guys that, uh, that ended up hitting it on the scene was all from those, you know, uh, Indian Casino or, or, or Tribal Land, you know, fights when, when everything was, was still hush-hush and the cops would threaten to arrest us at the entrance to the, to the Tribal Land you know, and all that fun stuff. That's, you know... We were out at um, Saboba Casino um, for a fight one time. And after the fight, you know, the, everybody's trying to get out of the place. It, it was pretty packed, you know, maybe two or 3,000 people were there. And so there was a long line of cars because there was, you know, one road to get out of the casino. Oh, yeah. And um, the guy named Dan from Tap Out was in the parking lot with his van had, was walking around with a bucket of shirts and he had a credit card machine selling shirts to people in line to leave. Yep. yep. I was like, holy shit, this is the biggest hustler I've ever seen. You know, I, I hadn't seen, you know, people like that. And, you know, uh, he, I used to have like, cause of my rival show, I used to have uh, rival fight gear and that was in, you know, I used to sponsor fighters in Abu Dhabi, you know, when it first came out. I had, I had some fighters in UFC where rival Minotaro was one of them. Um, so I had my clothing line, but it was never as big, you know, over here it was kind of, it was getting to be a little big, but when I went out to California and I saw the hustle that Dan was doing, I was like, man, that guy's, you know, really got a hell of a hustle. Right. And then yeah. me and Jamie had kind of a falling out and he kind of stole rival from me for a little while. And then I got it back. That was what I was talking about you know, doing some shady stuff to me. But I always respected Dan from Tap Out for that hard work, you know, and obviously it paid off and made him a millionaire. But that was something, you know, even more than the fighting out there, that, that kind of hustle I saw out of somebody was very impressive. You know? Yeah, for, first time I met them was at the uh, WEC in Lemoore, California. And kind of same thing. They were, they were selling out of the trunk of their car. Yep. Um, and then couple shows later, maybe three shows later, you know, it's not a car anymore. It's a trailer. It's, it wasn't even a trailer yet. It was more like a small SUV. And then pretty soon, 
you know, another year later, it's not an SUV anymore. It's an SUV with a trailer with the tap out logos on it. Then it's an right. RV, you know, that they're, that they're bringing in. I mean, but yeah, they're yeah. hustling their growth, which I mean, for, for the, for the beginning though, that tap out logo was the bat signal. It if, was. If I was traveling anywhere, I didn't care where I was. If I saw a tap out logo, you knew they trained. Yep. And that was my end to be able to go up to them and say, Hey, where do you train at? And then <laughs> I can stop by that night. And I mean, that's so true. You know, it's funny now because it's, it's complete opposite. Cause yeah. you know, if anybody's wearing tap out, they don't, they don't train. Right. <laughs> I kind of remember we were at, I think we were at an event or were we at a wrestling tournament or something? I, I don't know. Was, we were at some some event. I, I know my mom picked up some tap out stuff at Ross. That was like one of the first parts that I knew. <laughs> we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, no, yeah. You remember the first time that we're like sitting there and this dude had a tap out shirt and Dave's like, so dude, where are you trained? And he goes, what do you mean? And we're like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I met, I met Charles. Charles was the one that I, I, I had the opportunity to meet the most. Um, so I started talking with him at, at the fights. And then for a time period, we were selling tap out gear out of our school. Yeah. And so I would just call them up and say, here's what I want to order. I, I mean, we had a small school. I wasn't ordering big quantities. I'm ordering five of this, 10 right. of that. I'm ordering maybe about $500 worth at a time. I'm not, I'm not ordering much at all. And then I'd go maybe six months before I'd even place a second order. Right. But but they were always, I mean, super cool. They understood the whole grassroots part of it, of how the how it even grew in the first place. And then I remember I went to place another order and I got somebody else. And they're like, oh yeah, we're, we're the managers now. Um, and then they sent me an application and it was like, send us a picture of what your display racks look like. Here's yeah, your, I remember that. Here's your minimum order. We're like, yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, man. and then that that was it for us. Yep, I remember, man. <laughs> that was that was that was the beginning of the end for them. I mean, it yeah. made them it made them a millionaire. It made them yeah, big money. But, but uh, I guess the street credibility went out the window. Yeah. Yeah. That well, they thing. lost they lost what made them the brand. I mean, their brand was was all that grassroots underground, it was guys like you and me and, and guys like that that were diehards about the sport. Like I said, it became the symbol. It's kind of funny how, I mean, they literally were the symbol of jujitsu and MMA for a while. You know, you said it, you said it perfectly, them being a bat signal for yeah. your, you know, to know that someone else trained. You're 100% right. I couldn't have put it in better words. That's exactly what it was. If I, I mean, I used to love, I mean, I'd be pulling over somewhere and I'm getting gas and I'd sit there and I'd tap on Melissa. I'm like, Hey, he's got a logo on the back of his truck. And then, you know, go over there and talk to him. And then that's how I'd find out where the local schools were. Um, and then if we were staying in the area for a night or two, maybe that, you know, maybe go stop by and train, you know, did you, that did, you did you ever have that when everybody started wearing affliction, like what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I never so, got into the affliction stuff. Yeah, well, you know, it's that was that was like Marcus told told me back in the day in Brazil, people would sign up at a jujitsu academy just so they could wear the shirt. 
and then they would quit. You'd never see him again. He said right. he'd see that all the time. You know, people would be walking around with, you know, Gracie logo, Carlson Gracie logo everywhere, and they'd never train. Right. You know, and I, and, and I always thought about affliction was the same thing. You know, yeah. that was like the, that turned all the, the kind of the coolness from tap out. It, it, it killed it for me because all the, you know, muscle head douchebags yeah. that didn't fight would wear affliction. Well, if you were wearing affliction, I'd lay bet you had a flat brimmed hat and a flavor saver. <laughs> <laughs> I was, was like, I bet money. It, it was probably dyed too. Yeah. <laughs> and then usually heav heavily tattooed. Yeah, you should have like Viagra sponsoring you or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, that's exactly what it was, you know? We, we started calling it the uniform. Yes, yes. Because they all started to look the same. Cookie cutter. They cut. do. I mean, you know, I've seen I've seen those memes on Facebook, like douchebag starter kits. Yeah. <laughs> the flat rim hat, the affliction, the monster energy drink. Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not. I actually like monster though. <laughs> so I know you have a a lot of kind of hands in a lot of different things. You've got rival fights. Right. Yeah, you've got the Champions MMA. You have multiple right. schools in that affiliation, correct? Uh, right. Yeah, and then um, do you have any other kind of side hustles Copa. going on? We got Copa. Well, you got Copa. Copa. Yeah. 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 No, those are you know those are my three babies. Um, you know, obviously having the school was my biggest thing, and then um, right, I, I had over the years I've had a couple of different clothing lines. You know, rival fight gear, uh, Kimura fight gear. Uh, and flatline, and um, the the uh, rival was really my baby, and uh, that one because you know I got it in Abu Dhabi, I got it in UFC, and this right. was with no money, you know, and and uh, so when I started doing the fights again, um, like Jamie Levine had showed me how to do fights, you know, um, I was his right hand man for so much stuff, uh, not just being his bitch, but you know logistically, anything he needed, I, you know, I would do. Um, so when I started Rival, uh, before he died, luckily, I, you know, he was able to come to a couple of my couple of my shows, and that was kind of cool because he taught me how to do it. And, you know, like, I always give credit to people who, who taught me or helped me. Like, when, before I started doing Copas, I, uh, because of Rival, or excuse me, because of World Extreme Fighting, I'd fly around with Jamie Levine, I met Kip Kolar. Okay. And Kip... Kip used to fly me up to up to his house in Connecticut, and I would help him do uh, the Naga shows. Right there, you know, I'd be one of his referees, or you know, one of his bitches too. You know, whatever whatever he needs, you know, helpers. You know, you know, I would help. I'd ref all day, break down, set up. And then when he came to Florida, he was supposed to do a show. Me and Jamie were supposed to run Naga down in Florida, kind of almost like a franchise thing. Well, it kind of fell apart, and the Avalon brothers had. had thrown a, uh, a naga or something with him and uh you know no big deal but then i was like since kip wasn't doing show wasn't going to use me anymore so i was like you know what i'm just gonna go ahead and start my own grappling tournaments so back then uh, my first grappling tournament was a rival grappling tournament and then uh i started doing copa kimuras and i did those for a while and then when I, when I broke up with, when my partnership ended with my former partner 
because we did grappling tournaments and we had the, the martial arts studio together. So I changed the name from Copa Kimura to Copa America in like 2007. Um, but I, I was the first grappling tournament um, that offered prize money. Yeah. I was the first grappling tournament to offer, uh, you know, over a thousand dollar prize money. Uh, first one to offer money for females. I was the first one to, to uh, have a simultaneously gi and no gi uh, prize money in Florida. Um, so there's a lot of lot of little things that you know in, in Florida I was the first one. Um, I wasn't you know I wasn't the first for everything, but there are you know there are some things I was the first for, and you know it's funny because I would always charge less than all the other tournaments, but I, I'd always offer prize money, right. and you know with as big as like the IBJJF is, you know I I, I think they should give they should have a you know, a solid pro division, consistent pro division, right. where they're offering large amounts of money. You know, for them to throw up $100,000, it would be nothing. You know, they make half a million on their worlds right. you know, or their Pan Ams. And for them to throw up, you know, $100,000 a year for, for a fighter would be something to give back. And another reason I, I don't like with IBJF is, you know, it's, it's owned by one person. You know, Carlos Gracie, you know, it's, it's owned by him. It's not a, it's not a nonprofit. Right. You know, it'll never, ever be in the Olympics under the IBJJF. Right. You know, it'll have to be under some, some other entity or whatever. And, and, you know, unless he changed it to a nonprofit and had a more diverse referee, you know, groupings and things like that, you know, it's just going to stagnate. I mean, it's a great thing, great organization, but there's things that for it to, you know, become Olympic level, you know, it, it can't be done, you know, as the, as the way it is now. See, and that's where, that's where I kind of question, because we I'm trying to remember who we were talking to the other day, but I, I, I mean, I, I'm not so sure I want it in the Olympics. We're talking to Felicia. Felicia. Um, well, for, for a couple of reasons. Like one, I remember when I was growing up, the Olympics were, I mean, that was big. I mean, I remember, you know, when, when summer Olympics would come on or winter Olympics would come on. I mean, it was a big thing. As a family, we sat down, we watched the opening ceremonies. Um, you know, one, one broadcasting network was pretty much 24-7 Olympic coverage, and it was like a really big deal. Um, now, I don't know if it's because oversaturation of just media in general but I'll be honest, I mean, I, I, I used to love the Olympics, and now when, when they're coming up, it catches me by surprise. I just, I don't even know. Well, that the- I, I get that, but look at it this way. What jujitsu event is on TV? Yeah. But the problem is, even in the Olympics now, most of the sports aren't even represented on TV. Yeah, but there are some that are. And then just the just the exposure and viewership that way, you know, lends more credible thing. Because think of it this way: you and you know about the Brazilian bias in IBJJF. It's unequivocal. It, it's there. Nobody, nobody, you know, doesn't believe that there's bias in that. You know, and you look at like a lot of the tournaments, man. You know, even even some of my good friends who are Brazilian who've won said. 
It's because of the referee who was Brazilian. Like they know. But that's where I'm starting to question now with things like flow grappling and the fact that new media outlets are starting to pop up all the time is, you know, obviously the grappling is hungry for representation. We have Abu Dhabi, which is, which is arguably right now our Olympics. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's our, that's our peak of representation. It, the most open rule set, um, you don't see gi, but that doesn't mean they couldn't wear it. If they choose, that's the way Abu Dhabi's written. I mean, you see guys going in there right now wearing wife beaters and, and Bermuda shorts. I mean, it's, it's that right. kind of an environment. And that's where I almost just kind of question with the way the growth is going right now is whether or not that could become that bigger stature. Because the, the Olympics, I mean, I, I love judo. You know, the countries, everybody, everybody who wins a medal in the Olympics wins money. Right. You know, the, the, the value of those medals in some countries are way more than others. In America, it's not as much. But the prestige of jiu-jitsu being the, in the Olympics can put you somewhere. Look at, you can go to high school and wrestle, get good enough, like my daughter, to get a scholarship to, you know, for free college. So she goes into college, that opens up the ability for her to compete in the Olympics. Right. Although so, that was almost taken away, though, when the IOC removed wrestling as one of the core sports. Yeah, and look how quick they brought it back. Yeah, they brought that back, like, within a month. Right. Like there was I, personally, myself, I think that was because the, the grapplers – ultimately backed all the wrestlers at that point and said, hey, there's no way jiu-jitsu will ever make it to the Olympics if wrestling gets removed. Well, you know, it, it might seem hard to believe, but there are more people wrestling than there are people doing jiu-jitsu. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Re wrestling is so much more well-known, and that's because it is in the Olympics, too. Right. And it can give you an avenue to do things. Like, my daughter only wrestled because I got tired of her pulling guard. Right. <laughs> and when, when she was, when she was 12, she got to that point where she really didn't want to listen to me. You know, she started becoming a teenager and cause I had been teaching her all these years and then she would pull guard and it drove me nuts. So I'm like, you're going to go wrestle. So I took her to Danny Walker and Lake Gibson and she cried and complained and, and did every, she'd come home every day. Like I'll do whatever you say in jujitsu. Don't make me go to wrestling every day for a year. She wanted to quit every single day. And I'm like, suck it up. And then, you know, we, we eventually it turned out to great, do something good. And I, I sat down with her and I told her, I was like, eight years. You're going to do four years of wrestling in high school, four years in college. And if you work hard for those eight years, everything else in life is easy. Right. Or you can just slack off, do nothing. And then for those eight years, and then the rest of your life is hard. So anytime... I try to motivate or anything. We have a little hashtag you might see on some of my posts sometimes. They'll say hashtag eight years. And like I even have a tattoo. It's got the Japanese, the Japanese symbol in the middle for eight. And then it's got the, uh, the Enzo circle around the okay. side, you know? And, and so that was my, my way of, you know, you know, saying that I'm, I'm in this with you, you know, I'll support you 100% just finish. So she's got two years left 
Uh, she she would have been on her seventh year, but she hurt her back this year, so she got one more or two more. She redshirted this year. Gotcha. So and and luckily, luckily, you know, she redshirted because this is a messed up year for all these yeah. people. Right. Yeah. Like if you're gonna redshirt, this is the year to do it. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's people, there's wrestlers who can't win their their four time NCAA championship. Right. You know, or, or you know they and they said they're not going to run it back, so yeah. it's just it's just a horrible horrible thing for yeah. these people's legacy. But you know, getting back to the IBJJF, I think I think it's a great organization. I mean, it's the most organized, the biggest one in the world, obviously. But I think they could do so much better back for the, the the people who support it. Because what's the what's the what's the give back? What do you get back from doing that? You know, you you right. you, you you pay in for the organization, but they never pay you back. Right. You know, and, and I think that's, you know, that's, that's something that, you know, needs to be addressed, especially when they consider a lot of these guys at the, the super high level, like black belt level, you know, it's almost like a pro pro athlete. Yeah. You know, you don't have judo, you don't have white belts in judo or blue belts going for world championships or, you know, you got blue, purple, brown, black, and then many, many different age groups as a world champion. Think of how many world champions yeah. in jujitsu every year there are. Oh, we lose you? Can you, you hear me? Can you hear me? Yeah, there we go. Again. You froze okay. for a second. That was so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know where I left off at, but um, look at look at IBJJF. They have blue, purple, brown, black world champions, and then you have different age groups, different weights, different sexes. So in one year, how many how many world champions are there? You know, exactly. I, I forgot the number, but there's there's a lot. There's you know every what seven or eight weight classes, five weights or five belts, then six I think six age groups. Yeah. So whatever that math is, but there's not that way in wrestling. There's like seven seven. That's it. You know every you know that's how many there are. Whatever that weight class is, that's it. That's that one world champion. For that year, so I think they're really taking advantage of what they have. Because if it goes to the Olympics, there's not going to be a blue belt Olympian or a purple right. belt Olympian or brown belt Olympian. It's going to be black belt. That's it. And I don't think the IBJJF would give up that that reign or that power. Well, and that's where, like we were talking about, is the the Abu Dhabi. That's it. There's, yes. There's that just. That's, that's, that's real. You know, that's why I like that so much more, but you know, I don't, I don't like the five minutes, no points, you know, I, I'm not really a fan of that. I, either points, no points, give it a time limit, you know, and then at the end of that, you know, vote on most submission attempts or what, whatever the criteria to be, you know, I go with the old school, the first original rules of, of jujitsu at, at Copas. The only thing I added in my tournament was the four-point rule for throws right. and no gi. You know, if you got a great throw, because how hard is it to throw somebody over your head? You know, you get a shoulder throw or, or any kind of throw where your opponent's feet face the ceiling, that is just as hard as getting someone's back right. or getting yep. mount on somebody, you know? So that's why I gave a, a higher point value that way. And I remember when Kip, Kip and I were talking, because he used to just give one points it was either one point or two points in his, uh, whether it was gi or no gi, before he, and we were having a conversation because he wasn't doing jujitsu at the time, you know, traditional jujitsu at the time. 
And he asked me what I thought if we should go to the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu scoring system. And I'm like, yeah, because more people will show up because they'll like that, that scoring system better as far as, you know, traditional Jiu-Jitsu because that's what they know from the IBJJF. Right. And this was way before the IBJJF even got big. This is when they were doing two shows in America. They were doing Worlds and Pan Ams. That was it, you know, in America. And so he switched to that. And then, you know, IBJJF just kind of, to me, kind of got money hungry. They just have an event everywhere all the time. Yeah. You know, and I've, I've been throwing tournaments now 20 years and uh, they've increased, you know, I do, I do between eight and 20 grappling events a year, right. you know, just, just to have fun, just to have, make money. I'm not trying to be the biggest. I'm not trying to be the best. I'm just trying to, cause I love it. I enjoy it. And I, I have a lot of good friends like you guys. I've met you, you know, a lot of people I've met, you know, throughout the country for the love of jujitsu, not for making money or anything like that, but IBJJF has made so much money they should have lots of people sharing that wealth, you know, and, and I'm a capitalist at heart, so more power to them. But I'm saying on the reward end, you know, the guy who wins, you know, absolute and his belt level should get a good substantial amount of money. And I know they've had some, you know, some things where they've given them money, but it's been relatively low considering how much money they make. Right. Yeah. You know, and they can do that for gi and no gi. They, I mean, nobody can really touch them, you know, as far as, you know, their coverage all over the world. Um, grappling Industries is very close. They yeah. do a great job, you know. Uh, that They're very, very good. One of my black belts, Marcos Flores, runs, runs that. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, he's really taken off with that. that they're, they're amazing. And, uh, you know, like I don't consider them a competitor of mine or anything because I, I don't really consider any grappling tournaments my competitor. I just do it for fun. Right. Cause I, cause I love doing it, but I just wish, you know, you know, I'm giving 500 to a thousand dollars at my tournaments and people are, you know, like, Hey, can you give a little bit more? Or can we get more money. I'm like, Jesus, why don't you go ask, <laughs> I'm like, why don't you go ask IBJJF for more money? You know, yeah, we were, we were throwing, um, California side. We started throwing our own little tournaments uh, in our area because no, we we would have to travel upwards of two hours to to even go to a yeah. tournament. Right. So, so we decided to start throwing a couple tournaments up in our little area. Um, so we started up what we called the uh, Foothill Submission Championships, and I I think we were actually the first ones that started giving out championship belts. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean not just in our area. I think we were the first ones I knew of. Right, we did that for the male. Absolute and female absolute. Cool, man. Which, which actually, I mean, for our little area, because who, who knew that our little neck of the woods would have, you know, guys like TJ Dillashaw and guys like Michael McDonald out of Oakdale. And I mean, an, an area out in the middle of nowhere actually produced some, some pretty significant people in the, uh, in the game. And half of them ended up doing our little tournament, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Well, you know, you get you get people you like or trust. People are going to be lifelong, you know, supporters of you. Yeah. You know, I'm, I remember when I was when I was in the, uh, doing kung fu tournaments, I would travel the country doing tournaments because I liked the the promoters. Right. They'd call me up, hey, you guys coming down? I'd like to see you. You know, they always gave it like a personal touch. Right. Yeah. You know? So I like that. They weren't like, you know, nobody from IBJF is going to call you unless you're like the top star. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like like. Some of our guys would be like, okay, well, we got this tournament over here or we got this tournament over here and one of them would be yours. And I'd be like, 
Well, I'd go with Copa because I know Ross and I know Ross will take care of you guys. I exactly. Don't know other guys. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I try, like, I tell people, when people call me or ask questions, like, you always talk to me. Yeah. You know, it's like any, anytime someone has an issue, it's talk to me. And I always say that even at the beginning that you have an issue, come see me and I'll make it right. The, yeah. the, the, at the very least, I'll give you a free voucher for the next show. Exactly. Right. You know? yeah, I mean, I'm always going to do whatever, you know, to make you happy. You know, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people don't even care. I'm, I, I know, I, I know people have gone to other tournaments and they got kicked out of the tournament, didn't even get their money back. Wow. And I know one promoter, I won't, I won't mention them. I'll tell you off air, <laughs> but I know one promoter, he was not letting the guys videotape uh, the absolute division. That's crazy. And, and this dad, and this, this was years ago though, this dad was filming his son in the absolute division and the promoter walked up the uh, state or not the, the, the bleachers in the gymnasium, grabbed the, the guy's camera and threw it all the way onto the basketball floor on wow. the mat area and shattered it and told him to get out and asked the police to take, I couldn't believe it. I was, th I was there. I physically saw it with my own eye. I could not believe that actually wow. happened. But, you know, cra crazy stuff like that. And, and that's not me. I'm not that, I'm not that guy. You know, I, I want anybody who comes to my, my, any of my tournaments or fights, I do whatever I can to make it pleasing and fun and make it a good experience because, you know, I've been doing this for you know, so many years and to take another Saturday off to go, watch a bunch of students of mine compete or, you know, it, it's draining on an instructor because, you know, we have to put out our financial money, you know, either get a hotel, spend gas, food, you know, our time, spend a whole day, you know, you lose family time. So, <coughs> excuse me, that's one of the things that I did early on was I have a competitor's rebate. So let's say, let's say, you know, you guys brought 10 people down you know, or five people, whatever it is, I give you $5 back per competitor. So, and that's, that's been going on for 20 years. Some people ask me about it, some people don't, but it's on every one of my flyers. Right. Ask about, every one of my flyers says, ask me about competitors rebates. So, and I want to give back to the coaches who are spending money on, and their time off. Kind of hung up again. Yeah, we're frozen again. It's, it's not a lot, but it's it's just that my way of saying thank you. Right. Well, we appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, we've had a couple times where they're, they're like, well, we got this, uh, you know, whatever tournament over here, and we got Copa over here. I'm like, well, I'd go with Copa. Because yeah. I know if, if we have any issues, Ross will take care of you guys. It'll be all good. So the thank only you. part with, with IBJJF that was, like, kind of crazy to us is when, when we were California side, I don't think we ever even competed in an IBJJF no. tournament or that it even had any significance. Caesar was already running the Racy Open in, uh, in the San Francisco area. And then you had U.S. Open. Uh, Claudio Francia was already doing the U.S. Open. Um, and then there were a couple other tournaments in Southern California that, that were, were, not were, were some of the biggest you know, in the state. So you know, none of my friends, none of the people I knew were IBJJF members or anything right. that nature. Then we moved out here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we got out here and we started talking with people. And then pretty soon, like some people actually called us fake. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were like, no, you guys, you guys, you know, they, they wouldn't tell us to our face. 
but, but yeah, we heard about it later <laughs> that they're like, oh, you know, you, you guys are, are fake and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I was talking to somebody and I was like, so, so how do you know if somebody's legit? And he goes, well, because they're, they're registered with the IBJJF. He goes, he goes, so how, how, he goes, if, if you don't have an organization like that, he goes, how do you know if somebody's legit or not? I said, well, back where we're from, if you talk shit, we just show up. I said, that's, that's the way it's always been here, too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, a piece of paper doesn't prove shit. Right. You, got somebody, you got somebody who's signing your, your paper for 400 bucks. Right. Someone's signing it, and they've never even met you. Yeah. You know, that's not cool to me. You know, that's... Yeah, we, we ended up signing up strictly because we knew Christian wanted to do Worlds, um, and then we wanted to do Master Worlds. And so when, when I got my black belt, finally, after like 23 years, <laughs> it's, that's our story. We just call it, it's complicated. It's complicated. That's the story of our, that's the title of our book when it finally comes right. out. It's complicated. <laughs> it's complicated. And Christian yeah. <laughs> I didn't lie. <laughs> yeah, no, I got you, man. So, but afterwards, I was talking with, uh, I was talking with, with my instructor and he's like, I just, I'll, he goes, I'm not part of anything like that. He goes, I'll talk to Caesar. He's like, maybe, maybe Caesar is. And so, so ultimately Caesar ends up signing off on it and things of that nature. But yeah, if it wasn't for the fact of, of a handful of competitions that we wanted to do. Um, we probably wouldn't have gotten it either. <laughs> dude, there's, there's so many people I know, like I have my IBJJF card, but I don't have a black belt certificate because I wasn't going to pay $400 for it. Right. You know? yeah. I have, there's so many people I know that have other instructors who never even taught them sign off on their paper so they can get that so they can get that certificate that's really, the part it, that uh, uh globetrotters just got hit with yeah yeah i heard that you know that's 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 crazy to me too yeah i mean you get you do what you get like i don't care do what you, you want to do but you know my thing is proof in the pudding you know yeah. if you develop if you develop good competitors good fighters shut the fuck up <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I don't and then care. I think it's funny because then, then Globetrotters created their, uh, what was it, belt checker. Uh, yeah. Which, which, is, which is kind of funny because it, it, it's just, I mean, we, we kind of talked about it. I mean, it, it's borderline uh, popularity contest. Yeah, if your buddy, if your buddy checks, hey, you're, hey, you like me, I like you. Let's, let's help right. each other out. You know, or, or, that, you know. I, I don't like that guy, so. Yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's have our group you know, go against him, you know, and I, that, that's the part, I think that's the part of this whole thing of, of, of martial arts in general, that I, I think I find the least appealing is the politics goes exactly opposite of everything that is supposed to make you a martial artist. Right. Well, I don't think, I think in jujitsu, I think the culture of, martial arts and respect is downgraded than it is not as high level or emphasized as much as it is in, you know, more in the Eastern philosophy, martial arts. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think, I, but on the other aspect, I think it's made up for because it's a mutual respect because you know, who can kick your ass yes. <laughs> you right. Know? Right. And, and who can't, you know? So it, it's a give and take. Like, like I said, I'm a, I'm a traditional martial artist. You know, I, I've trained in a lot of other arts. And, and to me, knowledge is more important than if you can kick my ass. You know, well, I mean, like, eventually there comes a time 
when being able to truly do the arts that we love. I mean, I, we're, we're at a point right now. I mean, I'm at a state in my life. It's a state of diminishing returns. Right. As I'm getting older, my, my abilities to, to do the things I did even just five years ago, you know, is all I've got five degenerative discs in my lower back. Um, you know, right now, martial arts keeps me active. It, it keeps my back from locking up and things of that nature. But every year, I mean, I, I know that I'm a little less capable than I was last year. Absolutely. No, I, like, like I, I, I rolled, <laughs> I rolled today with a couple of my students. We have a, 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 you know, even though we have, we call it, we call it the Champions Rebel Alliance. <laughs> I, have this, <laughs> I have this private group of just a few of my students and we get together a couple times a week and train. And like I was rolling today and, uh, Usually, you know, I'll do gi or no gi. Um, not usually on the same day. I'm just too old to do all that. But I'll, I'll do one and, you know, in a couple of days I'll do the other. And, and I haven't done gi in probably two weeks. And, but I had been doing some no gi. And afterwards, man, I felt like I needed to put my forearms in, in ice buckets. Because <laughs> I'm telling my wife, I'm like, I'm giving her my arm. Please squeeze my forearms. They're killing me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I haven't had, I haven't been doing those grips, you know, yeah. training, and uh, you know, normally I won't go, you know, much more than a couple of days without doing, you know, gi or something. But it's been at least two weeks since I've done it, a good gi, and I, I was training with, you know, one of my black belts and one of my brown belts today, and and you know, they're both twenty years younger than me, and you know, both badasses. And like I'm, I'm doing everything I can not to have a heart attack. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you know, just like you said, man, that as you get older, the things you, my, my mind is still there, but my body says we ain't doing that. <laughs> we're we're not going anywhere near you know that kind of stuff. And I remember, I remember Melissa a couple of years ago when I did that the first ladies uh, only yes tournament, and you came down and competed. I was like, God, I was so proud of you you know, uh, coming out and competing and, and, and doing that, you know, and, and there's, you know, there's these young gun stud chicks out there and you're just having a freaking blast with them. And I, I, that, it really impressed me. You know, I was really, I was really impressed with that. Yeah. There's and, some colors in that, in that, uh, absolute. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but you know what, you know, the, the one, you don't see a lot of, of women doing that. And two, you don't, you, there's barely any older women, Right. You know, uh, doing it at all. So I was, I was really, really impressed with you coming out to do that. And, yeah, you know, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, there's like, that's why I've always respected you guys. Cause there's like no ego, you know, it, you know, with, with your team or your guys, or I've never had an issue. I've never heard anybody, you know, talk bad about you guys. I've always said you're a bunch of badasses. And anytime like a promoter or even me, I, like, if I were to match one of my guys with you, I'm like, listen, this is a good school. Their jujitsu is going to be on point. So you need to be on point if you're going to fight these guys, you know, and, but it's always been a respect thing. Like there's certain teams I won't fight because I know if we fight, the friendship will be over or right. I'm such good friends with them that I just don't want to fight their team or some of the instructors and me have made, you know, we've been friends for so long. Um, we either, we can fight each other. Or, or we just like, hey, let's not do it. Let's fight other teams because we fought each other a million times. Right. But 
So when you guys came around, you're one of the ones that, like, we were right off the bat. I was like, these motherfuckers are legit. <laughs> yeah, I, was like, I was like, you guys know your shit, you know? And then I remember seeing, I remember one of the, I, I don't remember if it was combat night or where I saw Christian's first fighter, or even if I ref them or something. But I remember being like, this kid's the next thing, man. Like, he's got his shit together. I was really, really impressed with Christian's fighting. So I became a fan of him from the first time I saw him fight, you know? And, and so I, I've watched his journey and I've watched your school grow a lot. And I got to take my hat off to you guys in a short amount of time. There's very, very few schools that can be as successful in the fight game as you guys have been. Thanks. So my, you know, my hat's off to you. That's much, much respect, man. Well, I mean, the biggest, biggest part is with, with any kind of that, that success, I mean, we, we got fairly lucky that, you know, one, obviously we, we've been around the game for a while, just nobody knew us in Florida, but at the same time, we were able to meet and make some great friendships like with you and some other schools that definitely made our transition into Florida much easier. Right. Uh, you know, there, there's some groups that definitely didn't, didn't take to us, <laughs> you know, too, too kindly at first. But the vast majority, though, um, when we came in, you know, made, made our first introductions to people and everything else, um, you know, the, the reception that, that you and all, every one of, of your schools, every, every group that we've ever met has all treated us the same way. Um, so we can't say that it's, you know, there's just pockets. I mean, so it, it's definitely, it's one of those things where, where your personal philosophies in the arts and, and the openness and everything else you can definitely see you know in in even your affiliates and how they've treated us at different events you know and so that that's part of what i Thank think you. definitely helped us greatly um with our acclimation into florida mma and florida jiu-jitsu you know was how quickly um guys like yourself and the like you know embraced us as part of the the culture now with you know right. here so well and we've always said that we don't have to dislike somebody to fight them. Right. And we, we instill that in our fighters. You do not have to hate this guy to fight him. Right. You're no, going I'm, I'm, to be in the same corner with these guys down the road. You're going to see them throughout your career. Don't make all these stupid rivalries. There's no point to it. It's, it's wasted energy. I tell all my fighters, like, you shake their hand before and after. Whether you win or lose, it's all about respect, you know? Right. Like, I don't, you know, if my, if one of my students start acting up or whatever, like I'll, I'll reprimand them, you know, I'll, I'll be like, bro, this is not how we act. You know, right. one, because I don't want someone representing me and my team of guys to have some kind of, you know, make us think that we're arrogant or we're assholes or disrespectful. Cause that's not, that's not me at all. And two, it sets a bad example for any kids that are there watching. Right. Exactly. You know, and whether they know it's my team or whoever's team, you know, anybody who's acting a fool, you know, you know, I don't like that. And, and like, usually like at, at, at my shows, I tend to, to try to get teams that I know have good coaches and have a certain respectability with their fighters, you know, like that I have a friendship with, you know, because like when I'm throwing fights i just want good fights i don't care who wins or loses or any of that kind of even with my guys i always try to match my guys with someone who's better like i never like if my guy's a purple belt i'll never match him with a blue belt you know unless the guy's like a ncaa wrestler or something like that right, i always right. try to because especially at amateur 
I always want my people to do better. Like, like Jessica Borga, for instance, when she was a blue belt, I had her fight a black belt in MMA and she ended up winning the fight. But if she was a black belt, I would never have her fight a blue belt. You know, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go backwards. I had, I had one of my guys, uh, Damien, fight a black belt who was also a, a champion wrestler from another country, fought a from a team out of Orlando. And he ended up winning and he's a blue belt. So I, I always put them up, you know, because they can learn more from a loss and be respectful than if they won and were arrogant. So, right. you know, that's my philosophy. I think, and, and that's why I love you guys. You know, you're one of the teams that I really enjoy working with and will help out, you know, any way I can, you know, cause you guys, you know, one, I love it that, you know, your husband, wife, and your kid all train. That's almost like exactly like my school. Is. That's, that's my favorite thing in the world. That, you know, that's just amazing. You know, I'm so proud of you guys. I, it, I couldn't even, I couldn't even tell you how happy that makes me, how successful you guys are doing. And, <laughs> and got that family unit. That's, that's really amazing to me. You know, you could write a book on that alone. Right. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read it. I'll, I will read it. <laughs> it'll, it'll come eventually. <laughs> when we have time. <laughs> First chapter. It's complicated. Second chapter, <laughs> it's really, really complicated. complicated. <laughs> Third chapter, hold my beer. She's about to get real complicated. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, I want a signed copy, too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, Ross. Well, thank you so much for sitting down with us. This was really fun, actually. We got to do it again. Absolutely. I loved it, man. I, I really appreciate you guys talking. And, you know, it, especially nowadays where you can't go see a lot of friends and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you guys are you're out and doing your thing. And, you know, much respect and love for you guys. And, you know, hopefully when this stuff, you know, clears up, we'll get to see each other at the tournaments or fights again yeah, soon. absolutely. 100%. Thanks, guys. Awesome. Thank you, Ross. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Have a great evening. Thanks, you too. All right. Bye, guys. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening. This is your host, David Lawson. And your other host, Melissa Lawson. We really appreciate being able to do this for you guys. We appreciate you giving us a listen. Uh, if you want to uh, follow us, go to uh, Instagram, submission underscore coalition, or give us a like on Facebook, submission coalition. Or uh, if you guys want to throw some donations, it's not like I'm going to turn it away. We're also always looking for sponsors. Just so. PM us at uh, any of our social media outlets. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs>